last and final week of the big screen, a time when we choose movies to talk about a little bit. Because um, most people do see movies. I'm not a big movie goer. I confess that up front. And I haven't seen most of these movies, including this one today. So if you have not seen Infinity War, I'm not sitting in judgment today. I haven't either. However, I do know a little bit about the plot. And so I want to tell you about it and then try to draw something from this movie that I think is very, very important for us in life. So Infinity War is a Marvel comic. Actually, it's the, it's the end, intended to be the end of a 10-year, a decade-long arc of movies about the Avengers, superheroes, and all Marvel comic fashions. Now, I love superheroes when I was little, and I watched some of them, but I, I haven't watched a lot of them lately, but I'm intrigued with the idea of these superheroes. Now, here's the thing. Infinity War intended to be the end right? Infinity War intended to be the battle of all battles, the final battle when a group of superheroes approach evil Thanos whose intent on destroying half the world. As a matter of fact, what happens is this. Thanos is one stone away from destroying half the population of the earth. If he can get one final of the final infinity stones, He's going to destroy half of the earth. Half of mankind will die. I know. You're saying, well, thanks for bringing me to church Sunday. Well, hang on. There's something here that I want you to see. In the end, well, let me just let you watch it. As Thanos finds the last infinity stone and wipes out half mankind. Watch the clip. I'm intense, and that's the third time I've seen it today. So, that's a pretty intense scene and meant to be very emotional. In fact, for true Avenger fans, that was an emotional moment because even the superheroes died. What? Superheroes? Yeah, not just half the world, but a good number of the superheroes died. So for Avenger fans, it's a sad and emotional moment, except that. Real fans of Marvel Comics know two things. A, Marvel Comics superheroes don't die. And B, <laughs> even though this was to be the end of all Avenger movies, there was already a part two being planned, scheduled, and shot called Endgame. Anybody heard of that? came out last year. And so all the people who were, maybe we should say, Marvel nerds knew that those who died have already inked contracts for the next, for the sequel that's coming. And so things were not as it seems. And spoiler alert, those who died are not really dead. Now we thought about that a little bit. And I thought, you know, there's a lesson to be learned from that for us. Not really taken from Marvel comics, but taken from the Word of God. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that death is sometimes a deceiving look to us. And oftentimes we look at death as having won in a battle. Much like it appeared that Thanos had won the battle. When in fact, 
death is not the winner at all. And death for the child of God is nothing as it appears because death for the child of God is not the end. And guess what? They're not really dead. If there's a big idea I want to bring this morning and let you see this morning that really is important is this. Death comes for us all. But for the believer, death never has final victory. Death is something that we have to talk about. It's not any of our favorite subjects, right? You don't want to sit around the evening dinner table talking about death. Probably not many of us sit around making plans for the day we're going to die. We don't want to talk about that. We aren't comfortable here. We don't even want to hear about it in church. We don't want to hear about it at all. We don't want to talk about it. I'm not always comfortable talking about it. Uh, even, even as we think about death, we're, sometimes this gloom comes over us. And it's like this enemy that is facing us, this big Thanos who is ready to wipe us out. Separate me from my family. But I'm here with good news today. Because the good news of the gospel is, death is not as it appears. And in the end, death has no victory over the child of God. Now let me show you where I find that in the Bible. The book is called 1 Corinthians, and the chapter is number 15. 1 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul, maybe you've heard about him, maybe you saw the movie about him. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth in Greece. And, and as he wrote this, actually, yeah... Corinth is Greece? No, Corinth is, yeah, Greece. And so he's writing this letter, and as he writes the letter, he's telling them about various questions that they've had, answering various questions that they had, and one of the questions they had was concerning death. And so he addresses the subject. I want to read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Maybe you brought your Bible with you. You can follow along. Maybe it's on your phone, your tablet. If not, it'll be up on the screen so that you can follow along. And maybe you can follow along in the version that I'm reading. And that'll be helpful. So let's see what he has to say about the subject of death. And it may be interesting for you to learn that it is not always as it seems. Look what he says beginning in verse number 50. He says, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Now, that implies to us, if you just read that casually, you, you, there's implied that something happened ahead of time that now he's going to explain a little further. Well, the context is this. I don't have time to read it all, but you would do well to go home and read it. The first part of chapter 15, Paul declares the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, he summarizes the gospel, capsulizes it, if you will, and he says, if you want to know the gospel, here's the gospel. He said that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. He said, this is what you need to know. This is the gospel. This is what the good news is that I've been proclaiming and others are proclaiming to you, that Christ is risen from the dead. That is essential, folks. That changes everything. Everything. Paul is solidifying. In fact, he says that, Paul, that Christ, after his resurrection, were seen by the disciples and even 500 people at one time. And he says, this is for real. Why is that so important? It's important because the resurrection is the verification that Jesus is everything that God said he is. He is everything that he claimed to be. One thing we know about Jesus of Nazareth who walked in his day is that he claimed to be very God. Whether others understood it or liked it and most did not like it, he said, I am 
God. Well, who can make that statement? He better have something special. And to verify that Jesus is God and the stamp of approval upon his ministry. And what he said is the fact that death could not hold him. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And I'm on that guy's side. I don't know about you. And so now Paul says, understanding that. And understanding the importance of that. In fact, he said something quite startling. He actually said, if Jesus was not risen from the dead, our faith is vain. If anyone says that Christ is not risen from the dead, he said, our faith is vain. But Paul says, I'm trusting in the fact of his resurrection. And the fact that he said, you remember when he was on the hill, uh, there on Bethany on the hillside? And he looked at Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. And he said, I am, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. What? Yeah, yeah. Even though it appears he's dead, he's going to live because I am the resurrection and the life. And G Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, he says, you need to understand the importance of the resurrection and believe it and trust it with all your heart. And this is what I'm trying to say. This is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. Now he gives a little bit of detail that is fascinating. And I want us to look at it together. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. Now listen, listen. don't be alarmed that death is a mystery. What, what's a mystery? A mystery we think of is not a Nancy Drew thing in the biblical sense. A mystery in the biblical sense is something that can only be revealed in a spiritual manner, in a spiritual way, by the Spirit of God. It's just, it's, I'm, I'm talking about a mystery. No, we don't understand everything about death, he says. But here's what I can say. I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. Don't miss that. The dead will be raised. What's he saying? Death is not the end. It is not as it appears. They're not really dead. The dead will be raised again, incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. Whew. Stop right there. That's a mouthful right there. Think about it just a minute. Paul says something has to happen to us if we're going to make it into the kingdom of God. If we're going to make it to a place that we call heaven, something has to happen to us. There has to be a change because these bodies of ours are not fit for what lies ahead. They're not capable of being there. We, we, these bodies are corruptible and they need to be changed into what is incorruptible. These bodies are mortal. That is, they are going to die. But they need to be changed into what is immortal. We cannot go in these bodies as they are into the realm we call heaven. I mean, it just don't work. There's no fit. It's like trying to take a Model T and win the Daytona 500. Ain't going to happen. Just not going to happen. We, we gotta be, there's got to be a change. And Paul says, this change is going to take place. But for that to happen, something has to happen. There has to be a dissolving. There has to be a change. These old bodies have to decay away so that new bodies 
are resurrected. Now, it makes me stop and think just a minute about death in a whole different perspective. It reminds me that, first of all, death is inevitable. It comes to everybody. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I wish we could talk about a different subject, well, come next week, we'll talk about a different subject. But today, it's important to talk about it because death is inevitable. You don't have to be a theologian to understand that. You don't have to be a theologian to arrive at that conclusion. All you need to do is live a few years. And then, by the way, when you've earned some gray hairs like me, it becomes even more real. Because you experience it a little bit more often with people you know. People you went to school with. People your own age. And you think, wow, this thing really is for real. It's inevitable. But here's the thing I want you to see, that while it's inevitable... It really can be changed and looked at as, as somewhat of a friend. Because death aids the process. Death is the process by which I can begin the process of change. That I am indeed going to get rid of this body, this corruption. This body that is corrupted by sin. This body that is doomed to die. This body that really holds me in is going to be changed. Wow, that's a little bit changing. What is corruptible becomes incorruptible. But then he continues. Now hold on, because some of you still look like you're not too sure. Let me read on. Look what he says in the next verse, verse 54. He says, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your, st your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Paul's saying? Doesn't need to be a theologian. Just read it. He's saying death is a defeated foe. The battle's already been decided. The final war, the most desperate war that we face, that war with death, is already decided. And for the believer, for the child of God, we win. It doesn't always look like it. It doesn't always look like it. Sometimes we, we feel the pain, we feel the sting, that emotional sting, that deep sting when someone we love, someone close to us dies. And we see that death, it stings, and we look at it and we think, oh, how horrible. And yet Paul says, keep this in mind, death is defeated. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? And then he answers the question. The victory is in the cross of Christ. You see, if I understand it, <clears throat> and as I've read it, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to the earth and died on the cross for us, for me and you. Now, you've heard that. Some, most of you here living in this Bible Belt, you've heard it. Maybe you heard about it in Sunday school when you were a little child. Maybe you heard about it in vacation Bible school during one summer at a church. Maybe you heard about it at a big screen. I don't know. Maybe you heard it somewhere. Jesus died for me on the cross. But, but may I remind you what that means? What that means is Jesus Christ, God, became a man. And lived his life in perfect fashion without, a, without sin. The Bible says he knew no sin. Jesus Christ is God who became man with a distinct purpose. God who took a body, 
At first in the form of a baby in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes. The Word, John the Apostle said, the Word, that is Jesus, the Logos of God, the expression of God, Jesus himself, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that we may behold his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus took a body, if we might see. But wait a minute. Hebrews tells us, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament also tells us that he took a body that he might offer it as a sacrifice for sin. So what he did on the cross, when he came to the cross that day, and he lie there on the cross, and allowed the Roman soldiers to pound the spikes into his hand, and pound the spikes into his feet, and pierce his side with a spear. At that particular moment, Jesus Christ is taking all of our sin the sin of the world and taking it on himself and pulling the sting. He's taking the sting so that death has no sting. He's there to defeat sin and death once and for all. In fact, as he's there on the cross before he takes his last, last breath, he cries out with a loud voice, mustered with everything within in him. And you know what he cries? He says, it is finished. Note now, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. The pain of death is defeated. The war on sin, defeated. It's done. Everything that needs to be done for the reconciliation between God and man is done. It's finished. There on the cross. But it appeared to be a dark day. In fact, his closest followers didn't really understand what was going on. His closest followers thought it was the end. His closest followers thought that they had lost. His closest followers had an emotional moment when they realized that all of their hopes and dreams were gone. They had hoped he would be the king, and they're gone. They would hoped he was the Messiah, but he can't be. He's dead. They looked at the blood that flowed from his side and from his hands and from his brow and his scar-beaten back. And they felt defeated. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. God doesn't die. Well, he died in this body. They buried him. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he said, I am who I said I am. And everyone then remembers. John remembered, so he wrote it down. Oh, yes. And by the way, he said in Bethany, when he stood with Mary and Martha at the grave of their tomb, their brother Lazarus, he said, I remember what he said to her now. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Oh, yeah. So it's not the end. There is, if you will, a sequel. There is more to come. And it is not as it appears. He is not dead. He is very much alive. And now, today, he is very much alive. Forgive me if I get a little excited about that. He's not dead. He's alive. What a thought. So Paul says there is no sting in death. 
And death is not the final victor. And then he says these words that I think are important. He says in verse 58, Therefore, in light of this, guys, in light of this, my friends, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul says this in the inclusion. He says, as a result of this, in, in light of everything we've said about the resurrection, in, in light of what we said about death being conquered, in light of what we said about, about, the, the, uh, about being changed and being, becoming, taking on incorruptible and, and eternal bodies and immortal bodies, in, in light of all of this, in light of the fact that death no more is the winner and, and the sting is gone and, and victory is ours, in light of all this, here's how you ought to live. So I think what he's saying is that what we believe about tomorrow impacts the way we live today. It really does. Because when we understand about death, it impacts how we see it today. You know, that makes so much sense to me because can I just tell you, I've been doing this for, for a long time. I've been a pastor for 43 years. I know I started when I was two. But anyway, 43 years. Here's what I've discovered. I've had many moments in those 43 years where I've stood and watched folks handle and face death. I've watched people take their last breath. I've watched people face their own death. I've watched people watch their family members take their last breath. I've had family members take their last breath. In fact, six years ago in October, I stood on the eve of surgery that might have been me taking my last breath. But here's what I've seen over those years. I've seen families come and sit in an old country church with a choir singing will better, will understand it better by and by. And the body of their loved one right before them. And yet I look at their faces and see peace. And joy. I'm thinking, how do they do that? Yeah, I've seen families as they have mourned for loved ones tragically lost, with every right to be bitter at God. And yet, deep down, they look at me and say, while it hurts, I trust Him. I remember a dear friend of mine whose wife died with an aneurysm. They were younger than me, in fact. They were the first couple I married at the second church I served. I went to that funeral, as a part of that funeral, and as I was there at that funeral, that husband stood up and said something. <laughs> I'm just in awe. He stood up to speak at his wife's funeral, and here's what he said. He said, I just want you guys to know, there's an old song that you probably recognize and somebody's going to sing in a moment. But he said, I want to say this. He said, I want you all to know that all of this is not well with my heart, but it is well with my soul. No truer words could be said, could they? It is never okay with our heart. It's never well with our heart to lose somebody we love. But for some, it is well with the soul. 
what does that? That, my friends, is living in light of what we know about resurrection. That it may look like this movie has not ended well. It may look like our loved one is dead and gone. <laughs> but it falls flat because we know better. We know better. There is life yet to come. So here's the takeaway. What I want you to see, very simple, is that death is for certain, but so is eternity. Death is certain, but so is eternity. Don't miss the real story. I read this week a historical event. Anybody remember a guy named Napoleon? <laughs> Napoleon um, was, he had his vision to take over the world. And, and, and so in, in his trying to conquest the world at that time, Napoleon ran into a, a, group, of, a, a, a group of nations who decided they would come against them, uh, form somewhat of a union, and they would fight him. And, and as it turns out, Napoleon comes face to face with the Duke of Wellington. At a place called Waterloo. You remember the story? Think back to high school. All right, think back to history class, college, wherever it might have been. Wellington and Napoleon at Waterloo. And if you know your history, you remember the history well, you remember that Wellington was able to stop Napoleon, defeat Napoleon, and stop Napoleon from taking over the world. Well, there, there's, a, there's a lore that goes with that. I don't know how accurate it is, but there's, some, there's, there's a tale that goes like this. There's a tale that says that the people in Britain were so anxious to hear about the news of Wellington and Napoleon that when they heard a ship was coming back with message from the battlefield, they gathered on the shores of the, of the English Channel and they waited till the ship arrived and as the ship began to get into sight, they could see the light flashing, flashing out a message one letter at a time. W-E-L, Wellington defeated. And suddenly the fog moved in. The fog rolled in so that the light couldn't be seen. The people standing on the shore began to talk to themselves. And we're so sad. Wellington defeated. Our hopes for freedom are gone. We're done. We're finished. Word began to spread among the crowd and they began to think about what would be next. And then after some time, the fog began to roll back. And as the fog began to roll back, they looked again and saw the ship. The ship again began to send out a signal, W-E-L. Well, Wellington defeated the enemy at Waterloo. <laughs> Listen, 2,000 years ago, fog rolled in at Calvary. And Jesus is hanging on a cross. He takes his last breath. And if you weren't careful, if you only saw part of the story, you see Jesus defeated. This rabbi from Nazareth who claimed to be God is now dead. We don't have to deal with him anymore. 
He's done. He's dead. It's over. Jesus defeated. But three days later, when the fog rolls back and he comes out of the tomb, the message is clear. Jesus defeated death at Calvary. It's done. The victory is ours. Bow with me, would you? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, I thank you for the victory we have in Jesus Christ through his resurrection, through his life, life eternal. Thank you for grace and peace. Thank you for your great love and tender mercy. Well, with our heads still bowed, could I just say this? <clears throat> this is the last of this series where we've been very intent about trying to simply share the gospel of Christ. And many of you have been here every week. Some of you, it's your first Maybe your second. I just can't close this series without offering you an opportunity to receive the wonderful grace of God offered to you today. Because you see, you can today prepare for the day of death that surely is coming. Whether we want to talk about it or not, think about it or not, it is coming. But for truth, you can receive God's gift of eternal life today. And you can prepare for that moment when this body decays only to be resurrected in a new body, a forever body, immortal, incorruptible. It's your choice. Today it's open to you. Today, if you're willing to bow your knee to Jesus Christ and say, yes, I want to be on your side. I want to be part of your family. I want you to be my Lord. That can happen today.